Escape from Plan A. Welcome to a new episode of Escape from Plan A. This is your host, Teen. I've got Diana with me. Diana, how's it going? It's pretty good. How are you doing? I'm good. And a very special guest, uh, Carl Zha, who's joining us all the way from Hainan in China. Is that right? Do I have that right? Yes. That's correct. Carl, uh, you know, I, I follow you on Twitter. I, I always love potting with, like, interesting people I see on Twitter doing interesting stuff. You run uh, a, a super interesting podcast, the type where I think the last episode I saw was, you know, you're, like, interviewing, like, uh, foreign volunteer soldiers, fight ISIS, stuff like this. Really crazy stuff. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about your podcast and kind of what, um, you know, just kind of plug anything that you're working on? Oh, yes. Let the people know who you are. Thank you. Thank you for that opportunity. Um, and thank you for inviting me to your show. My podcast is called Silk and Steel Podcast. It's very simple. Silk and Steel. Or you can search. Um, you can either search for it on uh, Google, Silk and Steel Podcast, or search my name, Carl Zha. Uh, Carl spelled with a C, and then my last name, Z-H-A, that's Zebra Henry Apple. And Yeah, we'll put uh, links and everything in the show notes for you. Yeah, um, and my mm-hmm. podcast is intended to uh, be China-focused, uh, but also, you know, cover everything, uh, all the countries that's involved with China. Um, that's why I, I came up with the name Silk and Steel, uh, and it, Primarily, right now, my primary focus is um, China and the countries along the Silk Road. Uh, I, I basically cover whatever topic that's interesting to me. And uh, my most recent episode is actually um, uh, Tam- My Tiananmen Memories. So I did a, a, a reverse format where I invited a former guest to interview me about my memory as a 13-year-old in China in 1989 and my experience in the student protest um, of that time. And uh, yeah, I welcome everyone to check out my, my show. Um, there's a lot of, I have a lot of the content is free, open to public. There's some um, subscriber-only content, um, you know, like, but that, that there's about like one per month. Um, there's a lot of free stuff, so please feel free to have a lesson. I promise it's going to be very interesting stuff. Yeah, I really like your historical perspectives. Um, I've read through a bunch of your tweets, and I just feel like I learned a lot. Like, where did you get that information? Because, like, I, I can't find it anywhere. Uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, I, I have always been a history nerd. Um, I remember when, just right before I started school, my dad bought me a chart um it's like the dynasty chart uh, that map out the all the chinese dynasties from from the beginning till 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 the present and basically that chat chart stayed on top of my bed and every day i wake up i will look at it and try to memorize it and then um then my dad bought me this children book um called literally up and down 5,000 years and it's just stories about from Chinese history from the past and uh, so I from a very young age I just became very interested in history um, and uh, you know when I was when I was growing up in China most of knowledge I learned is uh, you know just just book knowledge right like I, I sometimes I take a lot of Lots been uh, a lot of the history that's been written literally, um, but like later <laughs> as I came to the United States, you know, as I grew older, um, I realized history is a lot of perspectives, right? You really have to read multiple sources, compare notes. It's almost like um, uh, it's almost like detective work, uh, right? Because the, each um, each historians in the past, they always write from a certain uh, standpoint 
and they might have their own biases. And really, to understand a historical event that happened, you want to you want to do your own homework. You want to do a lot of uh, you know. It's like it's it's like totally detective work. You have to you have to go find uh, compare multiple sources, compare notes, and then you have to use your own judgment to th- uh, to figure out like a, a, a narrative for yourself. So that, that that stuff is just like catnip for me. So I, I love it. I think you had said, uh, if if I remember, maybe like in a in an er- earlier podcast that you did, uh, that you know a lot of this, uh, you had talked about this issue of perspectives, and in particular, I think when you had moved to the United States, yes, uh, where you still live. I mean, just to be clear, you're you're on a, a sort of like extended uh, vacation in China right now, visiting, yep. uh, for the first time in a while, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think you had said when you moved to the United States that you were, uh, I don't know if dismayed is the right word or surprised by how little uh, awareness or, or, or even attention was paid to China. Yes. Uh, and that, you know, it, it really, you were really hungry to find any sort of uh, mention or e- even sign of awareness in U.S. media um, of China. And so you became really uh, expert at hunting down. Yes you know, mentions of China in the newspapers and stuff like that. And that, you know, can you tell us a little bit more about just, you know, that experience? And Yeah, so I came to this country in 1990, uh, basically one year after the Tiananmen Square protest. Um, and I came here as a 13-year-old. I started eighth grade here. And while I was in U.S., I'm, I was always fascinated uh, about how Americans see China because it, it offers a really fresh perspective. And uh, as I try to find <laughs> more materials, I realize uh, at least in media, there's really little coverage back in 1990. I mean, uh, at the time, uh, so I, for a while, I delivered newspaper, I delivered New York Times, and you know, I would be you know, reading NYT every day and I will be looking through the pages to look for any kind of China related story and there's just not that much back in 1990 because at then you know the only China story you have is maybe related to human rights um, and and even that is very little and and also the I feel the pictures a lot of Americans have of China back then is very outdated. I mean, the the picture many Americans have of China is still like from late 19th century, you know, where men have these, uh, who's a Q and, and or or the 1960s and 70s when everyone in China wears a Mao jacket, right? It's it's kind of very stereotypical view. Um, but then that changed around, I think it's around the Olympics, the 2008 Beijing Olympics. And after that, it also coincided with the Great Recession in the United States. And then the, and then the perception almost like switched to the other side. Uh, it was like, oh my God, now China is going to take over the world. You know, China is going to eat our lunch. What are we going to do? Um, I mean, there's a lot more China coverage now, obviously, because just simply because China is a lot more important on the international stage. It, it has become a lot more powerful country, both uh, economically and uh, politically on the world stage. Uh, but, you know, there's still what I, I noticed, there's still um, it's almost like a, a like a constructed media narrative when uh you know, when, when we come to China coverage, uh, it, I, I know before I noticed that, um, <laughs> I mean, this, this might not be just be limited to China because I used to follow this, uh, ex, um, expat magazine called Exile that was based out in Moscow. Um, they talk about the U.S. Uh, media coverage of Russia and I recognize a lot of the same symptoms. Uh, it's basically, it's almost like uh, there's a template on reporting foreign countries like Russia or China, right? Like, uh, first is everything has to tie back to communism. 
right? Even in Russia's case, the, the Soviet Union dissolved back in 1992. Like, you know, 20, 30 years later, when you read Russia reporting, it always goes back to, to Soviet Union. And, and in China, you know, you will, you will somehow trace back to Mao or, or Cultural Revolution or, uh, you know, Tiananmen 1989. Right, like the it, it seems you know China has changed so drastically in last thirty years. Um, I mean, just since the time I left China from nineteen ninety, China today's China is a totally different country, um, and you know, but the there's still a lot to be left to be desired in the media reporting of China. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. I think, um, uh, I mean, on the good on the good end of that, um, to, at least in my eyes, is sort of like this rabbit in the hair parable of, you know, the U.S. having fallen asleep, the Chinese having done. And th- these are good stories about China, right? Mm-hmm. Is China, you know, puts put an incredible amount of effort into growing the economy. The U.S. kind of fell asleep at the wheel. But it's still fundamentally a... a um, I guess an antagonistic or adversarial mm-hmm. type uh, of reporting right. to say we're in a race together, right. um, and and sort of at the bad end um, is are stories that sort of highlight the ways in which uh, China as a civilization simply incompatible. Um, you know, these are 1.3 billion people that simply don't care about freedom. Right. Um, you know, they, 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 they're not allowed to be exposed to any of the truths. They're cut off from the rest of the world by the Great Firewall. Yeah. Uh, fundamentally, though, through the entire spectrum is this assumption of an adversarial relationship. Yes. And, uh, you know, even for me as a Chinese-American, my parents are from China. Uh, you know, eventually that narrative starts to work on you. Mm-hmm. You know, as resistant as I feel to that, it's hard for me to think of um, China as anything but adversarial at this point. Yes, because um, there's just so little. There's just so little in the way of the sort of like light. How do I put it? Like a sort of more um, uh, a counter narrative. Uh, yeah, counter narrative, and also just a slightly different attitude. The you know the one about just sort of like curiosity, sure, um, or or trying to find some sort of shared cultural space. Mm-hmm. Um, being as the you you know, there's a lot of similarities between the two countries. Yeah. Um, do do you think that that's kind of one side? This is what I'm curious about. Um, do you find that's kind of one-sided, or do you feel now that you spent you, you've been in China for a few months that that's kind of the same story in China too? Is that is it also seen as this adversarial over there? Um, so it's it's a little bit more complicated um, uh, over here in China because you know, like when we talk about Chinese people, right? There's, we have to recognize there's literally 1.3, 1.4 billions of them. And you probably get 1.4 billion different opinions when you ask a, a Chinese person. And, you know, from talking to my, for example, talking to my dad's classmates and friends who are of an older generation and talking to younger people like my younger cousins, um, I sense like, there might be a generation difference as well because uh, my my dad's friends, for example, they're all um, being educated uh, during the days of cultural uh, revolution. They were college students during days of cultural revolution. They have experienced a great famine when they were in high school, um, and then cultural revolution in college, and then um, later they experienced uh, you know the opening and reform. Of China, they, so they witness like the breadth of changes in China. Uh, many of them are surprisingly are, I would say, even pro-American. That like they're not. They, I don't sense any any of them hold any kind of grudge against United States. Um, uh, on the contrary, many of them remember the American aid to China during World War Two, right? Um, whereas. In a younger generation, uh, people tend to be more, um, 
you know, patriotic or nationalistic, however you uh, you term it, and uh, they do see U.S. more as more of a kind of a, a, a um a bully that that's trying to block the China's rise to power because they have a different experience. These people who grew up after nineties, um, they experience a China that's just um, that's growing. Uh, wealthier and, and more powerful and they, they see their lives being improving steadily um, so they have a total total different experience of of China and with their with the government and also versus the United States because um, like I said like back in 1990 US hasn't paid that much attention to China but that has changed in more recent years um, especially after 2000, uh, like like you say, it's now especially in U.S. media, it's often it's often taken granted that it is an adversarial uh, relationship. Because I just read a New York Times report. Uh, there's a New York Times reporter who shall remain unnamed, and uh, he did a lot of t- Twitter thread. Um, um, the, the current reporting on Elaine Chow, the, on her family ties with China, and... Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I, I, I went through the entire thread, and I realized, okay, I'm, you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not conservative, I'm not Republican, but, um, I was, I was trying to go through the, the thread on, on, on this, quote-unquote corruption of Elaine Chow and the whole thread was about her uh, basically spending six thousand dollars purchasing a ticket on Air China when he could flew a U.S. airline and I was like <laughs> that's it I mean I was expecting more <laughs> and and then um then I, I read another that he started another Twitter thread I think yes yesterday and it was about Elaine Chow's family. Basically, he traced uh, Elaine Chow's uh, parents. They own some kind of shipping company that's registered in Hong Kong. And and Elaine Chow was sent to inherit basically a huge chunk of money from them. And and the, 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 the moral of the story was actually, it was much easier to trace um, the, the, the corporate structure in a Chinese company on their Chinese filing than tracing the corporate structure of American corporation that's incorporating America, right? Uh, and but I'm like, so how does that? Sh- so okay, so show sure, Elaine Chao was born with a silver spoon, but you know, that's it. I mean, like, uh, but but and like at the end, the what really stood out to me was this reporter said in one of his thread that um, we really need to ask the question. You know why Elaine Chao flew on Air China, a uh, 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 airline from an adversarial power, and I'm like, really? Wow. Yeah, really. That's crazy. That, ad- adversarial power? Are we even at war with China right now? I mean, like, I mean, I know there's a trade war, okay, but that's that's just whatever. But adversarial power? It's like, uh, when did we? Um, I don't, you know, like that's kind of the crazy atmosphere we're in right now. Yeah, my take on it is, I mean, this is my, you know, and that for that story, it might be illustrative, but I think that, the, you know, the problem in the U.S. is that, um, you know, when you have a two, when you have two parties, uh, the way we do, you know, each party is always trying to look tougher than the other, and when it comes to um, the the sort of xenophobic. Uh, xenophobic and sort of like adversarial uh, posturing, each party tries to outdo the yes. other. So if so, if Trump is going to get tough on China, uh, his opponents are going to get even tougher. Yes. And they're going to say, oh, you're tough on China, but your own cabinet member is flying Air China. How about that? Yep. You know, like something stupid like and that. And she has um, ties to China. Oh, my God. I mean, like, I don't know what that yeah, became like a just crime. Tie- <laughs> I mean, it's 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 yeah. like it's it, yeah. it's like I don't know I, what can you say because like Elaine Chao is this rich conservative Republican who is uh, who is married to a married to, to a, Mitch McConnell yeah to a white person I mean like 
Uh, is that enough? Like, I mean, not just any white person. Yeah. The Senate majority, Senate minority leader. Yeah, and and, and you are uh, still implying leader, sorry, she's yeah. some kind of a commie spy, you know, like a fifth columnist. Yeah. I mean, come on, this yeah. is getting ridiculous. And but unfortunately, yeah. that's kind of the atmosphere we're in right now. Um, and and I appreciate that you are running this podcast, though. So at least we get some of the Asian American voice out here. Um, you know, that's that's enough of my rant. Uh, rant back to you. Yeah, <laughs> no, it it is it is frustrating because I feel like for I mean this might be a little bit of an aside, but I do think think for Asian American journalists, we're you know we're just amateur podcasters doing it for fun. But for those who do it for a living, um, you know, I think often they are sort of enlisted to the extent that they do even cover China. Mm-hmm. They're enlisted to sort of lend a certain credence to. Uh, well, what I what I would gather is a is an American in a mostly white perspective, but having like an Asian face sort yes. of you know yes. sort of launders it a little bit. Uh, that that's fu- um, that's, so that's it's, a bit, that, it's a bit frustrating. Yeah, that's funny because I was um, so recently because there's a, uh, just a few days ago, right? There was a 30 years anniversary of Tiananmen Square uh, protest, so there was a yeah. lot of coverage of that in the in the media. And um, one of the things they do is uh, reporting on, oh, how, um, you know, people inside China don't even know about Tiananmen Square. And I thought that was such an idiotic thing to say because I, I'm, I'm in China. I'm, I'm involved with all the, you know, WeChat circles. All my WeChat, all the people in the WeChat circles knew about Tiananmen Square incident. And, and, you know, like the, this, I mean, I, I, I don't know how they, so there were actually some, um, Chi, uh, some, uh, Chinese Americans or, or Chinese person who work for the Western media who kind of challenged that narrative on Twitter. Um, and, and I remember one person wrote, um, you know, like sometimes the, the Chinese voices have been delegitimatized because they were always seen as uh, being brainwashed by their own government, right? But we, we, we sometimes need to pay attention to those voices, even if they were, you know, nationalistic or whatever. Um, but then uh, immediately another Western reporter jumps out and says, but isn't it true that Chinese government uh, censored the media? I mean, yes, yes, yes. But that's not the point. The point is, you know, like the... So you can't just dismiss the voice of ordinary Chinese just because the go- their government censors the media, um, and especially in this time of age when plenty of Chinese inside China use VPN to get out. I mean, like sometimes I'm amazed. I go to some uh, YouTube video, like some Chinese uh, TV drama that's also on U- YouTube, and I look at the comments, and I'm like, this is amazing. All these people came from China. They're making comments on yeah. why I don't even understand that. Like why do they even need to go over the firewall to YouTube to watch a Chinese TV drama when they're like totally available <laughs> inside China, right? And, but there they are. They're they're making comments on leaving comments on YouTube. And uh, so you know like these are the side of the stories that's kind of never rarely been reported about in in American media. And people, unless you are in the know, right? Like most most Americans probably not even aware of that. Yeah, Diana and I have talked about this uh, before. Where um, there, you know, TikTok, the uh, the the app that's really mm-hmm. popular in China, that's a little bit like Vine. Yes, and. You know, Chinese Chinese users of TikTok have become really uh, quite clever in coming up with like, uh, you know, funny videos that go viral. Yes. And if you see it on like an American, uh, a predominantly it's not American, strictly American, but a predominantly American site uh, like Reddit, where where they po- where a lot of these TikTok videos get posted, what I've noticed in the comments is that a lot of uh, redditors uh, will say stuff like. Do they really think that we don't know this is fake? Like, how could they think that people believe this really happened? And it was like, oh, no, 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 it, it's ironic. I think p- Chinese people understand that that was set up. You know, like, you realize that Chinese people do have a sense of irony, too. They're, it's like this weird, uh, 
it just shows me that that there, there is a, to me there's quite a bit of racism in yeah. in in, yeah. in those comments yeah. that's unintentional like they're betraying a certain kind of racism where they simply can't attribute like you know things like ironic humor there's a lot of ignorance. to chinese people yeah there's a lot of ignorance uh, i mean i I, I actually uh, tweet a lot of these uh, uh, this uh, viral uh, TikTok Chinese TikTok videos on my Twitter feed, and I remember at one point I was being accused of uh, of a of a communist uh, agent. Um, one, one of the person that accused me said, "You know, he must have a team of like the the Chinese uh, intelligence uh, of officers feeding him." Like this uh, uh, steady stream of of manufactured uh, funny meme videos to to upload on on Twitter, and he said that ironically. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god! And you never heard of TikTok? I mean, God, how can you? You know, like, like and this is a guy that make comments, leave comments on all China related topic. I'm like, how? How do you how do you even like start like you don't even know the basics you know like if you don't know about Chinese TikToks how can you <laughs> yeah I, yeah I just yeah. it's mind blowing it's like a fundamental dehumanization right like they're basically saying that Chinese people they're just like empty vessels yep. you know they're they're not even robots they're just like surrogate bodies for the Chinese media to input yes. whatever they want. And then they just respond and it goes like to so many levels, you know, and it's like if, if they have any agency, it's to be sneaky to the West, yes. you know, like that's what the videos are implying. Like one, they don't have the capacity for humor and two, uh, they're posting it to trick us white people. Yeah. yeah and, and that's a funny part because most of the videos they are, you know, made for Chinese audience, right? And yeah. It, I mean, like, yeah, it's not for you. It's fuck you. It's not for yeah. you. And they think everything is for them yes. because they're the center of the world. Yes. It's like you're an idiot. Do you realize how stupid you are? Yeah. yeah I mean, like, it's, um, yeah, it, it, uh, it's real hard to argue with people like that. I mean, um, I just laugh. I mean, there's nothing, really, literally nothing you can do with that kind of mentality. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and that's, that's another reason I decided to uh, run my podcast is because I feel it is important to, to get our voice out. Um, and and I, I love to talk about, you know, Chinese history because I feel like um, it's important to understand the historical perspective to to understand where China has come from and how um, it became what it is today. And, and you know, a lot of that, you know, like people have to understand uh, when sometimes people talk about China, this China, that it, it not, look, China is not Minnesota. OK, <laughs> it's, you know, like. <laughs> Uh, China has come from a, 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 a much, much, uh, you know, chaotic backward place. And it, it was not easy, uh, like, during that journey. And, the, you know, you cannot compare it to United States after, you know, what, 100 years of development. And, and, and the people, I think another reason is that people who usually comment on um, China, they, you know, A, they probably don't have any other experience in other, like, third world nations um, other than, you know, the, you know, they probably only have experience in United, the West and, and China. And if you, if you have been to uh, a lot of other developing countries, you, you might understand why sometimes the way is they are uh, in China, you know, sometimes, you know, you may find things frustrating or whatever, but it, like you said, it's just, China was not made for you. It's not made for white people. It's, it's a people <laughs> of Chinese. It's a, it's, a, it's a country of the Chinese people. Um, yeah. I, and I think there needs to just be a little bit more good faith. I think, and a lot of it's driven by geopolitics because, um, you know, the American Americans tend to be a lot more interested and curious about Japan. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and Japan is is uh, an ally mm-hmm. of the. It's a strong ally of America, uh, and the same goes for South Korea as well. I think uh, Americans are super curious mm-hmm. um, about South Korea and South Korean people, and there's just a lot more sort of like good faith um, K-pop curiosity there. Yeah, <laughs> what's that? K-pop helps. K-pop helps. Yeah, <laughs> K-pop. But but underwriting all of it is is I think a is a media complex that. Uh, you know, quite is 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 often in quite in sync with our government. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, definitely. I mean, you know, even, even, and so you don't see coverage, say, of like, you know, there's almost never any mention of the fact that, say, Japan has a very far right. Yes. Uh, government. Yes. Um, there's not really a lot of talk about that aspect, or you know, we don't really talk about um, the military dictatorship or the Guangzhou riots mm-hmm. in in Korea the way we talk about Tiananmen, because we were allied with that government. Uh, with the dictatorship in Korea. So I think there really is a selective focus that's driven by geopolitics, yes. which is unfortunate. And uh, for me as an American, I guess I would say that, um, you know, I, I do hold hope that American people are capable of of that good faith, uh, you know, curiosity. Um, it's just that the, the the political climate doesn't allow for it. Yeah, I mean, I think... My experience of living in U.S. for what last thirty years is that most American people are just like people all over the world, right? They have they live their own lives. Um, they're busy. They you know they don't have time to learn about world events and 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 sometimes they are just being misled by the media. I mean, most Amer- common Americans they don't hold grudges against China. Um, you know, there's there's really not. I do not detect any deep held animosities uh, toward China or Chinese among common Americans. I mean, there's ignorance. Really, I hear it all the time, all the time. Really, I don't know if it's like yeah, I don't know if it's a gender thing okay. or because I grew I grew up in the Midwest, but just like everywhere everywhere you hear it from liberals from mm-hmm. conservatives like young people old people holy shit like one time i had a therapist mm-hmm. and i was just like talking to him about like problems i had with my dad mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he just goes you know i bet like this was at mit he was like you know i bet like at least 10 percent of the students here from china are spies holy shit like, what the what is that about? Yeah. What does that even? What What does that have to do with anything? Yeah. Fucking asshole. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's just like everyone. Everyone all the time. Yeah, I think I I think there's the media is very large large part responsible for that. Um, and because. Uh, even even in the case of uh, South Korea, like Korea that you, you guys mentioned earlier, uh, I don't know if you notice. Whenever uh, nowadays we talk about tensions between uh, United States and North Korea, there's very little mention of South Korea and and an opinion of South Korean people um, because you know the, the, you know there's a lot of there's a lot of attacks in the media against uh, you know. Uh, the, the the peace process with North Korea, but what doesn't get mentioned in English press is, you know, a majority of South Koreans support the peace process. You know, they elected a president who is pro peace process with North Korea, but that part was never covered uh, in U.S. media. When the, when we when the media talked about it, it, it seems like. There's only U.S. and North Korea, like almost like South Korea does not exist. I mean, I mean, talking about client state, you know, don't make it too obvious, you know. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can see. I think I think you can see remnants of this. I guess I, I've been on this. Um, yeah, like when you're when when the therapist said that thing about spies. I mean, I think that's. That is a great example of how the media, I think, does. I mean, how would he come up with that idea other than he's seeing and reading that everywhere? Exactly. You know, I think, you know, I, I think that it is driven. It's a top-down sort of thing, and you know, as an example, like you know, right now there's a huge, uh, demon, you know, there's a huge 
thing going on in Hong Kong. Yeah. Uh, right. There, there's just a huge demonstration right, against these extradition laws. And, you know, if you were in the U.S., you would see how big a story this is here, mm-hmm. which is strange. I don't know what vested interest we have in extradition laws in Hong Kong, <laughs> but it's, it is absolute. And look, I'm not taking sides, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I claim ignorance about, sure. you know, what was agreed in 1997 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, all I know is that I'm not sure why Americans are so vested in the extradition rights of the people in Hong Kong. By and Americans, the, you mean but the United is, States government. Yeah, of course, exactly. And the media, yes. You know, but you see an incredible amount of priority given to the story, and it happened, uh, I think, probably like maybe three to four years ago during the Umbrella Revolution, quote, the Umbrella Revolution, which was not a revolution, but they gave it the name Umbrella Revolution to sort of fit it into this narrative of various regimes that had been toppling. Yeah. And uh, again, huge amount of priority given to that in terms of coverage, which is okay. That's okay. But if you compare that to the almost like total lack of interest in a much larger uh, protest that was happening in Seoul, in Korea, at the same time as the Umbrella Revolution, which was successful and which actually did end up overturning the government and which probably in terms of like political geopolitical importance to the US was much bigger deal uh, because that led that kind of you know paved the path for Moon Jae-in to come into yeah. power that led directly to you know the renewed peace process that was going on that was a much bigger story for us as Americans but we paid very little attention to it mm-hmm. i think because we supported Park. Yeah. We supported that government that was toppled in that. So I think that's how I read a lot of the coverage now. Yeah, or or some or something even closer. There's a you know the yellow vest uh, protest in in France. Oh yeah. I mean like yeah, that, yeah, is, sure. that is that is huge. A great and that was ongoing for a long time, and there's a very little. Very little coverage in English media on that. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is France we're talking about. This is not some third world nation. <laughs> and, and it, yeah, and I think most of the coverage that I saw was on your Twitter thread <laughs> when you were like, "Why isn't anybody posting about yeah. this?" Yeah, I mean, seriously. Uh, yeah, I, I, that, that's a great example. And you know, if you go to something like RT Russia Today rt.com it's the complete opposite story yeah. they, they they'll cover nothing but the, the paris protest <laughs> yeah i mean that's why <laughs> that's why now they're going after rt right i mean like rt found a niche basically by uh offering like a kind of alternative uh media in united states and now they're uh you know uh, have to try to shut down the rt by forcing them to list as foreign agent um uh, but I mean, like, the, but the, the, instead of admitting, okay, maybe there's a problem with our reporting, <laughs> and but anyway, so I, 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 I really like to um, move beyond the rant about American media and talk about rather talk about what I have seen in China. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I would. Sure. I do too, because it's a it's a rabbit hole, and uh, you know, you you uh, you must have a great data plan because you've got some you got you've got a lot of videos uh, posted onto uh, Twitter, which are amazing. I feel like I'm on vacation with you, and you've you've got these great, you know, you've got obviously you got great food videos. Yes, I think the stuff I enjoy the most is when you kind of find those sort of like traditional. Court ho- courtyard houses, yes. those uh, that that style of uh, houses, and you know, you'll kind of just walk around um, and 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 showing the sort of like older and more more traditional. What, how do I want to say it? There's a, there's an image of China here that's very cyberpunk, like just massive cities, neon lights, and you know, uh, thirty million people all crammed into you know two square kilometers. Uh, but the side of China that you're showing is a much more um, sort of laid back pastoral uh, experience. And uh, uh, is that is that kind of what you're uh, living out there? Is that what you're feeling? Yeah, I mean, China is such a large country. I mean, both exists. I mean, there's both there's both the cyberpunk mega cities and there's this idyllic, uh, uh, almost uh, empty old uh 
old towns that's populated most by old folks. Um, and, and, you know, I love to explore both. Um, just lately that, um, you know, I, I mean, in my dad's hometown, I tried to, uh, I tried to get some exercise after, you know, binge eating delicious Chinese food. And so I, I've been bicycling all around um, the outskirts of Haidin, and they have a lot of these old towns uh, in the surrounding area where the young people have all moved into uh, the city for, for you know, better pay and better opportunities. Um, but then they got these, like, uh, all these really old, hundred-year-old houses that's either... Um, preserved there's there's some renovation effort they're trying to uh, preserve some of them but they're just some of, some of them just kind of left in their <laughs> in their in their pristine condition and and I just love to to visit because it's not crowded uh, by you know hordes of tourists and and I can take my time and uh, you know you, you see all the videos and and speaking of data plan um, I, you know one thing I have this, uh, you know, I, I got a new SIM card from China Mobile, and then I'm paying like 100 yuan, right? Which is what it's like less than uh, like 20, it's less than 20, 20 US, US dollars. Um, and it gave me 20, uh, 20 G. Um, but, but most of, but my everywhere I go in China, restaurants, um, bus stations, they all have Wi-Fi. They all have free Wi-Fi you can hook into. So I make full advantage of that. Um, and yeah, yeah I, I, I'm not, uh, uh, I do, one thing I do complain, of course, is the great firewall because it does slow down the data transmission when you have to use a VPN, right? So yes, you know, I'm in China. Yes, I can actually post from China because I'm using a VPN. And um, it, it, so it takes a, it takes a little time, but with a little patience, um, and I do want to share these videos and my travel experiences with my, my Twitter followers because I think that's the side of China many people are not talking about right now. Yeah, I, I was in China uh, late last year. Um, I went to uh, Guangzhou and Chengdu, and. Uh, you know, I'd not been to China since like 2003, you know, wow. like something like a long time ago. It's and, changed. Uh, so I went and it has changed. I'd never been to Guangzhou before. And, uh, you know, Guangzhou is on that list of mega cities, mm -hmm. right? Like it's it, it is like one of those First tier cities. Um, yeah. And it, it, it has a reputation, I think. Uh, to the extent that people even know it, but being kind of like a Shenzhen style city yep. and kind of, you know, but I was actually really shocked by, you know, sort of how laid back the town was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it has sort of like an older part of town where, you know, you've got a lot of hipsters. Yep. Like I was like, whoa, there's like, there's like straight up hipsters in China yeah. and they're, you know, they're opening up. Like I was like, th I, I did not expect to see the things I was seeing there. And, and I remember like, I was staying in an Airbnb, sort of in the old, in the older part of town, and um, which is, of course, where all the hipsters are drawn to. They're always mm -hmm. drawn to sort of like the more traditional part of the city and all that. They eschew all the modernists. Uh, and there was like this coffee bar where I had to go get my key and everything, and I walk in, and it's all just sort of like vintage American electronics. Mm -hmm. uh, very strange theme, and I was like, I wonder if this is like. You know, like in the U.S. where someone will do like a kitschy Soviet-themed <laughs> coffee bar, you know, with like Sputnik uh, posters, you know, something like that. Um, they had all these like Apple Macintosh posters from like the 1980s mm. and stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I was just talking to some of the people, some of the younger people there. And yeah, total, just a, just a side to urban life in China that... Um, is 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 more or less ignored or unknown yeah i don't know but one thing you know do you feel like it's because you don't live and work there that you're able to experience that and like because i mean 
like if I visit New York, I will see that too and be like, "Wow, New Yorkers are so laid back." Like yeah. You know, I, I never got that. I, I never got that impression. But but I was, uh, you know, though I will say that I was uh, I was there uh, with my girlfriend who grew up there, and 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 she has a lot of friends that are from there. And let me tell you, they're working people, and they're they're pretty laid back. They were hanging, like they were taking me there, you know. Okay. Um, cool. It is. I, I think it was. I think it was overall not quite as frenetic and let's put it this way. It didn't feel like Tokyo. Uh, Tokyo did feel to me like. A very rushed, harried, kind of New York City style mm-hmm. place, um, and maybe that's the case in Beijing as well. Um, you know, China's like you said, Carl. Like China, China's a big ass country, and there's a lot of regional differences. And so, if I talk about Guangzhou, that's Guangzhou. That's not China at large. Um, but 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 it, but it is it is China, and it is a side to China that I think tends to escape. Uh, the sort of Western gaze, and you know we're not really looking for that, which I find kind of sad because culturally it's way more interesting for me as an American um, than you know sort of all the sort of um, uh, sort of the, the the more bleak imagery that we that we're getting, uh, you know, dominated by super hardworking uh, you know tech people or dour grim government types you know in beijing or whatever yeah sure uh, it just it just misses out a lot on chinese life let's put it that way you know the livelihood of chinese yeah life. yeah that, that, that's that's for sure because um one of the things i really want to say is that uh when i went so i went to went back to china on like nine year intervals i left china in 1990 um the first time i went back was 2001 so around the time that you your last visit and uh, then I went back again in 2010. So my last two visits back to China, uh, you know, immediately I see the, the pace of development. I mean, like, if you, if you go back to China every nine years, it's like a new country. Um, and, but both times what I felt was China was a great place to visit. It was, uh, it was developing fast, but I would never see myself actually like say move back to 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 live there for a long extended period of time because you know there's pollution and there's environment problems there's all other stuff like like convenience of life right that we take for granted in the west but this time you know 2019 going back to china i found that china had became a lot more livable place. And that's really the biggest difference I found was that uh, there was a serious um, effort made into clean up the environment. The first thing I noticed when I landed in China was, oh my God, what happened? Why, why did this place become so clean? <laughs> and, and that was not just in one place because I traveled quite a bit in China. I, I first flew back to my hometown, Chongqing, which is a, a, a mega city in Southwest China. And then from there, I flew to uh, Yunnan, I flew, uh, to Mangsi, which is right on the border with Myanmar, uh, a very small, pro- small provincial city. And now I'm in on the east coast in Zhejiang, uh, Hainan, uh, which is also a s- kind of smallish, medium-sized city between uh, between Hangzhou and Shanghai. And and all the towns that I travel in between, everywhere I went, even countryside, it, it cleaned up. I, I was like really surprised. I, I bicycled to like this small Chinese village on the outskirt of Hainan city, and it's clean. I mean, like. It's it's just it's just amazing. It's like nothing like the rural China I remember from nineteen ninety. Uh, I mean, like the it's it the I mean there's also a, they have uh, been a lot of investment to uh, put up um, put up parks, public parks, right? And and it just it just made the whole place seem a lot more livable. Like like it's a it's a lot. It's like a, a place I can see myself, you know, easily just settle down and, and live for an extended period of time. Yeah, I saw that thing about uh, the greening of the planet in China and India. It's like um, 
they just like planted so many trees in the last 20 years that it actually like you can see it from space like those two countries are making the the planet more green and i was wondering if that you know if that's a signal of um a developing country becoming a developed country is like the you know like uh, better living conditions better quality of life and like production of hipsters <laughs> I, 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 I don't know about production of hipsters but i i think there's definitely um a more awareness i think you are definitely right that is part of uh this these countries getting more wealthier so the pri- life's priorities are different now right the 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 what the Maslow's yeah. hierarchy of needs uh first first you got to take care of getting enough to eat and now that people have that they want a better lifestyle and they want better environment they demand better air um one thing i noticed is like and now they're p- pushing out all the polluting factories outside of the city limits uh, you know, from Beijing, Shanghai, and uh, even even city like median city like Haidin, they have pushed uh, the polluting city uh, to the to the outskirts. And another thing is they they have invested a lot more to clean up the environment. You have all these um, team of grandmas and grandpas. I saw them in their little electric. Uh, tricycles every morning they just drive around and then clean up the street i mean that's how they keep the place so clean because these <laughs> this is that's great yeah this team yeah that okay this team of grandmas oh go ahead sorry yeah no that's that's a big point this, this is this is a total aside i just want to get this out there because this pisses me off to no end is like you know we talk a lot like one of the big differences is, you know, you go to, and it's not even just China. I think this is more like the U.S. being the weird one out. Is like, uh, if I go to my subway station here in New York City, and I go downstairs, first of all, it's a freaking mess. Like it's disgusting, and the reason it's disgusting is because there's nobody working at that train station. Literally, there's not a single employee uh, of the city that's actually working in that train station. It's like the honor system basically and the honor system yields terrible results and if you go to i don't even think china is special in this regard i think most other countries you know that run a subway you'll have like eight at least like eight to ten people you know running i know every subway station in china that i was at had like i don't know i like at least like you know five or six security guards uh you know uh, security people when you get down to the uh, platform, there's people there to give you information. There's people to manage the platform, make sure the lines are straight. There's people picking up trash. All these people have jobs. And then I go to like my train station and it's just, it's just crickets. There's nobody there. And I don't know, I, I, I'm just making an observation because it's just a huge sore point for me Yeah, that, actually, that we just refuse to employ people. That actually reminded me, um, so there's another big drive in China to build out the public bathrooms, right? Because China's ba- bathroom have this reputation of being extra nasty, right? So, so uh, what I noticed this time, 2019, is I walk around to this tourist site and I see these beautifully constructed buildings and they're just bathrooms public bathrooms um and and you know so some of them are really well done they have like traditional architecture or um or just like some really modern looking and then you you, you're like oh what is this oh it's it's a bathroom and 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 you walk in they have uh names of people who are responsible for that bathroom with their pictures on the wall. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. That's what I'm talking about. That's that's next level stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, no, it's true. They have um they have those in Europe too. I've been to a lot of European cities, and you know maybe not a photo of the person, but there's like an attendant who's supposed to be responsible for cleaning it. And they have to sign in when they cleaned it and like signature and everything. And like they're they're nice, you know. That's like. They're, it's unthinkable. They're, yeah, here. it would be unthinkable to walk into a train station or a ba- like a public bathroom in Berlin and see the shit that you see in New York. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I will say, I will say though that um, I was at a really uh, a relatively fancy um, dim sum restaurant, uh, and uh, 
you know, it's like in a, in a mo- very modern building and, and everything's really fancy. And then I went to go use the bathroom and, you know, traditional squat toilet, dude smoking, you know, and I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm in China. It's a nice reminder, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, uh, yep, still in China. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I really missed that trip. Uh, how long, how, how much longer are you going to spend out there? I feel like you're, you know, when you said, oh, I could, I could see myself living here. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're living there already. What are you talking about? Um, I'm actually probably going to be here for a few more months. Um, I, like I, I planned out this trip to be an extended trip. Um, like I wasn't even planning to stay in my dad's hometown this long. Uh, the only reason I have been here for over a month now is because uh, my dad decided to extend his trip. Uh, he, he, you know, I, I, I didn't even know my dad was coming to China because I was going to China to uh, do the water festival in Yunnan on the near the border with Myanmar. And, uh, and then my dad's like, oh, by the way, I'm in China. I'm like, oh, okay, great, we can meet up. And then my dad, uh, he has a bad ankle. And he's uh, in the United States, the doctor wants him to do surgery. So he, he's, he's really scared of surgery. And so he put that off a, a, a year with like a swollen ankle. And finally, he came to China um, to have my uncle look at it. My uncle is a practitioner of Chinese medicine. And I have to be honest, I was always a skeptic of chi- traditional Chinese medicine. I mean, like... Uh, and so was my uncle, it turns out, because I was talking to him about how he first started learning Chinese medicine from my grandfather. He said, yeah, it's like, when I first started, um, I'm like, this is the age when we're splitting atoms. Ch- traditional Chinese medicine? What the, What is this voodoo stuff? But he, he eventually, you know, overcome his, uh, you know, um, and, and, and start, start learning from my grandpa. And, and what I have seen, with my own eyes, I was really impressed with the, the result um, that his treatment on my on my dad's uncle uh, ankle because like my dad's ankle was like a grapefruit when he first arrived in China like a month ago and now is it's almost like like he he can he now he doesn't have to walk around with a cane anymore. I mean that is just amazing. Like the so the swollen has has gone down so. My, my, my uncle made me a believer. <laughs> I mean, like, maybe not everything in Chinese medicine, but now I, I know at least for something, Chinese, traditional Chinese medicine does work. It, it better. I mean, because I've, I've taken it. I've, I've had uh, TCM prescribed to me, and it, it, it tastes really bad. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's really, really difficult <laughs> yes, to it ingest. <laughs> uh, it is not for fun. It's no. not, you know, it's not like a, it's not for taste. So there better be some efficacy, yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. It's good to hear that your dad's uh, ankle is no longer the size of a grapefruit, and uh, and maybe you guys can do some more stuff together. Yeah, well, he's uh, he's going back to U.S. in about a week, but um, you know that's why I've been staying kind of stationary last month just to keep my dad company. But after that, I'm gonna resume my plan to explore more of China. Uh, my next uh, my next destination will probably be Guangzhou. Uh, because I have a friend living down there, and uh, we'll see what we can do. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, uh, have you have you been there before? No, I never been to Guangzhou. I mean, like I okay. I lived in so I grew up in Chongqing, right, which is in southwest China. Yeah. Um, was very little. Yeah. I would just go with my parents to see my grandma who live on the east coast of China, right next to Shanghai. So we would just take a boat down the Yangtze River um, and sometimes take the train back. So so I have been to China basically along that west-east axis, you know, along the Yangtze oh, River Valley. And 2010 was the first time I actually went to Beijing and, you know, the north. And uh, it, it was... Uh, the, yeah, that that was that because my my um young young one of my younger cousins got married in the city next to Beijing in Tianjin, um so so I got to see the Forbidden City, the Great Wall. Um, it's very different. It's very different. Like the, um, you know, sometimes I I don't think about it, but you know, I I conceptually understood North China is a big place, and North and South is very different. But once I'm there, I I, I experience it. Um. Uh, like so, I, I at the time I 
I dated a girl from um, he, she grew up in Inner Mongolia, but she uh, her family was from Henan, right? Um, so I was telling her a story of uh, uh, then my roommate who was a white American, and he went to Philippines to to visit her his uh, girlfriend friend's family in Philippines and he came back and, uh, and complained to me he said did you know in Philippines they eat rice every meal of the day you know for more for breakfast lunch and dinner I was like dude that, that's like just normal you know I was just normal in, in East Asia and so I thought that was a pretty funny story and I told this girl I was dating from northern China she's like wow Eating rice every every meal that is kind of excessive, and I was yeah. looking at her, was like, "What? Are you Chinese?" And then I realized, "Oh yeah, because from her part of the country, they eat more noodles. You know, like they, they, you know, the rice is not grown in the north. The rice is grown in the south. They, you know, um, south of the Yangtze River." Yeah. You eat like breads and noodles yeah. for breakfast, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, so that's why I realized. Oh, okay, yes. There's that that regional difference. Well, there. people from Chongqing, they just eat hot pot for every meal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all they do. And, uh, you know, there's a hot there's a hot pot uh, sort of craze going on in the U.S. Yes. At least here in New York, it's like everywhere. <laughs> Uh, they the, the Americans they even like the uh, the, um, the the mala style hokuo you know the the, no the spicy numbing spice style no way and I lo- I like it I've always liked it you know like and then when I went to yeah when I well when I went to Chengdu which is close to Chengdu mm-hmm. same same province yeah, yeah, right yeah. Uh, I was like ooh hot pot you know home of hot pot uh, yeah I can't I can't eat hot pot it's it, it it's <laughs> eating hot pot in America is very different from eating hot yeah. pot in Sichuan province uh, they enjoy watching you suffer they know you're not from there what? they know you ordered incorrectly they know you got, you can't handle what you just you know and they're just watching you and they're like yeah look at this guy look at him try well you know they have uh, those uh, it, yin yang different level. where like half is spicy half is non spicy right yes yeah, yeah I'm, I, I'm, I'm really hanging out in the non spicy part because um it's a di- it's a totally different level of spice. Yes. I didn't realize yes. what we were dealing with yes. here. And I'm I'm pretty good with I thought I was pretty good at with spicy. Um and then, you know, I was talking to uh our our driver as I was leaving and he was, you know, I was telling him about this problem that I had. He was like, "Oh yeah, I do that to my friends from Shanghai all the time, like my old military buddies. <laughs> when they come to visit, I'll just take them out to hot pot and just watch them suffer." Uh, he's like, "It's well, a part of the local saying, tradition here." Right? I was like, like um, "Ah, see, these people like bupala, these other people, pabla, um, yeah, pabla. Yeah. yeah, and then people in like Sichuan, pabla, like they're yeah. afraid of." Um, Stuff that isn't spicy. That like that's how spicy. <laughs> yeah, they need things. Yeah, need I, things. even I. Okay, so I I grew up in Chongqing, right? I thought I could handle spicy, right? And so I so I went to Yunnan. I went to uh, like Mangsi to see my friend, also for the water festival. So in Yunnan, their their specialty is a guo chao mi xian, the the special uh, vermicelli oh, yeah. rice noodle, and. And yeah. they, have, they have that um, here in New York now, amazingly. Yeah. Yeah, and they have uh, so so they actually put the spice on the side and you can just like grab for yourself, right? So being from Chongqing, I'm like, I can do spice, you know. I'm gonna get everything. <laughs> I, I you know, I just put a lot of spice in my noodles and at the end I was crying because they have these like really s- <laughs> like small pepper, like xiaolajiao, the, the yunnan pepper. Like, oh my god, I put too much, like, because the, the soup was actually very delicious, right? But because I put so much pepper in it, I couldn't drink the soup at all. It was just, it was too much even for me. And and I learned that lesson. I think I put in, put a, up a load of video to that effect. I said, I learned my lesson. No more pepper for me. Oh, the man from Chongqing was humbled. Oh, yeah. By the peppers of Yunnan. <laughs> yeah. How's the music in Chongqing? Oh, there's like a big hip hop scene, right? There is, there is. Uh, so oddly enough, uh, in Chongqing, both Chongqing and Chengdu, there's a uh, happening 
uh, uh, um, hip hop scene. There, you can people can go on uh, Vice, uh, go on uh, YouTube. I think Vice uh, China did um, did a documentary on the trap music of, of China uh, with focus on on Chongqing and 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 Chengdu. They they have some pretty pretty amazing music. I I I'm a fan. I'm a fan. It can't compete with the Bianlian stuff, though. I still like that. <laughs> Have you seen that before? I, I'm still amazed by that stuff. I'm like, how, how, how do they do it? How do they do it? Uh, yeah. Um, so we're, yeah, so we're um, at about a little over an hour. Uh, um, do you, any, Diana, any last, uh, last thoughts or closing questions for Carl? Um... I guess um like what do you what do you plan for the future like it seems like are you on a information gathering um like do you plan to do something with what you've learned in the in the in the trip that you're taking right now or like do you have you know some some ideas happening Oh um <laughs> actually when I first came to China I have zero plans and and now that you know, some people on, on Twitter are suggesting, you know, they would like to see, um, like, something more. I, maybe I, I, I'm thinking maybe I I'm probably would like to at least output some videos of my travel travels in China. And I would do more podcast uh, episodes on my podcast to talk about my experiences in China and what I've seen and just some of the, you know, some of the perception that uh you know how it changed my own perceptions my by my china travels oh looking forward to that looking yeah forward to that. that sounds awesome yeah uh well thanks carl uh that was it was really good to finally be able to connect uh figure out a time to do it and it seems like uh you got a you got a lot ahead of you so uh so best uh uh, best of luck to you on the rest of your trip, man. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to the show. That's our episode for this week. Make sure to hit subscribe and give us a rating on iTunes if you haven't already. That's the biggest thing you can do for us if you enjoy the pod. And please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash planamag. Contributions go into a fund to pay for Asian American writing, which we'll publish on our website, planamag.com. See you next week.